What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pinnacle Performance Podcast. My name is Connor Harris. Today, I have my buddy Jake Dunn with me. Jake is a strength coach. We've interacted a lot together, and uh, we've really gotten to know each other well the last couple of weeks. So, Jake, thank you, thank you for being here, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so uh, could you just give us a quick introduction? Tell us about you, like where you come from, uh, what you learned early in your career, and how it's affected you now, things like that. Uh, so I was uh, born and raised in outside of Philadelphia, and then eventually went and played college baseball in Delaware and then transferred down to Florida at one point. And I was in Florida for a bunch of years. I finished my bachelor's degree and then went and did a therapy degree uh, after that and got into training and then, of course, therapy as well. Um, I believe I had a lot of good mentors. Uh, I always put myself in a position to, uh, to learn um, from uh, brilliant people and uh, eventually moved to New York City um, did a few things there, eventually ended up doing my own thing, um, built a business there in, in Manhattan, which was awesome. I, uh, just considered myself a strength and movement coach because I really like to bridge the gap between therapy and training, um, because, uh, I believe that needs to happen. Um, and of course, just recently I, uh, moved to Dallas, Texas. So I'm now in Texas, um, doing a bunch of training here, of course, but now that we're all stuck in this coronavirus, we're not really doing much training. So right. uh, luckily, I started doing online coaching about three years ago, uh, which I'm sure we can probably jump into at some point. But yeah, I think it's just incredible to um, to see now how, how that helps someone like myself uh, in a time like this. Uh, but it didn't happen overnight. Of course, it was years ago when I started doing it. And, and it's only uh, just started picking up over the last like year and a half. Um, but yeah, it's been a blessing in disguise. So yeah, I'm happy to be here now and just going to run with it. Yeah, the whole online training thing, like, I'm so glad that I did that six months ago. That's when I really started it. And if I didn't do that starting from square one now would be really hard because it's really saturated now with a lot of people. Everyone wants to be an online trainer now, which, you know, understandably so because they don't have in-person clients. So it makes sense. But yeah, it's hard to build it in a time like this. But at the same time, if you can build it in a time like this, that shows that you've got it because you can do yeah. it now, you can do it anytime. So that's awesome. Um, so who would you consider to be like your two biggest mentors? Uh, well, I've studied a bunch of systems, so I can't really call them mentors. Hmm. Um, but, uh, of course I'd have to say one saying even like my parents, of course, I mm -hmm. uh, first, first and foremost, putting them up there because when I was a young kid, uh, I didn't really play many games inside. Of course I got into little video games when we were in our teens, but really I was always outside. I was always moving, playing multiple different sports between snowboarding, baseball, basketball, football, you name it. I think that's where I developed uh, my, my first uh, glimpse of movement, of human movement. And I didn't know it back then, you know, and, and I think that, that right there is what led me um, to understanding human movement on a deeper level than most, in my opinion. I really believe that you should understand movement and just do it through playing sports, different sports. You know, the best athletes usually come from multiple different backgrounds. Of course, you always have the select few that, you know, say Tiger Woods always plays golf. You know, yeah. they're always going to have those people. Uh, but when it comes to human movement, I, I believe it's just I, I connected those dots early on. And I truly believe it's what led me to want to do this as a practitioner. And uh, so definitely my family, of course, I learned from others, uh, different systems, say PRI, uh, was just huge. Um, of course, recently I was at the intensive with Bill Hartman and that was just incredible. Tell us about learn. that. Yeah, that man is, that man's a 
blessing, man. I love him so much. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met and hadn't even met him until this. And he did so much for us. There's only eight of us there, or actually nine of us this time. And uh, it was just an, it was an intensive. That's exactly what it's called. It was just eight or nine people in a room. We were just uh, digesting things that he's been thinking about for 10 years and uh, really going deep in the whole reason as to why humans act a certain way, why we move a certain way, why we compensate a certain way, what we're made of, things like that that you just wouldn't think about. But if you, if you want to understand humans on a deeper level, you need to look back and see where, where we come from, what we're made of, uh, what drives us, what's the environment that we're in. And it was just a uh, great experience. I learned so much. Of course, I really believe I prepared heavily for it. Uh, it took me a little while to get in, but I, I mean, I was studying this stuff for years uh, and it really helped me understand it more when I got there, because if I didn't understand this stuff at all going in, I'd probably have a little bit of a difficult time. However, Bill did a great job of throwing it at you in such a simplistic way that anybody could understand. Um, but at the same time, it is not simple. Uh, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's meant to be. And I think there's a reason why, um, you know, there's a method to the madness and there's a reason why it's so difficult to understand because we're very complex humans and it should be like that. Yeah. Um, if you guys don't know who Bill Hartman is, he's uh, one of the smartest people I think I've ever seen talk in my entire life. I've never met him personally, but uh, I've heard amazing things about this intensive process. And yeah, it sounds like it was very high level stuff, but he, he delivered it in a very simple way, which I think that's what the best coaches and teachers can do. So what would be an example of like how he grounds his principles? Like where does he draw like his knowledge and like his initial like base principles? Where do they come from? Okay, well, I guess I'll just uh, say a direct quote of what he said. Mm -hmm. uh, what he thinks we are as humans is uh, we are battery-powered, water-filled, anti-gravity, helically-oriented, morphing meat suits. I love that. That's what, That's he, awesome. what he calls <laughs> us as humans. Um, uh, he's huge on physics. Uh, fluid dynamics is a massive uh, player in this. Of course, respiration is going to drive a lot of it, but even backtracking before that, you know, he thinks we're 99% water and other 1% stuff. Uh, and of course, it's, uh, it's an incredible thing once you actually sit there and you get, you get drilled with physics and equations for four hours straight in the first four hours of it all, and you're just completely thrown, thrown back in your seat. But when you can understand it, because he makes you understand it and will not leave until you understand it, you get it. And you're like, that makes sense. You know, that, that you start questioning things and thinking why we do certain things, why we, we, you know, orient our body in certain positions, things of that such matter. Um, but of course, um, joint position is going to dictate your function, uh, respiration, all these things are going to play a factor. You can't just look at one thing. Um, but he did such a good job of just putting it on the table and making it, um, you know, well known, but also you know, that it's very complicated, but being so simplistic at the same time, it was just a, a great experience. Um, but yeah, that's a, uh, <laughs> it's tough. I, it's, I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you how long it would take me to explain the things that I learned in this course, because I st started studying for this course like a year ago, just hoping I'd get accepted. Um, luckily I did, um, my second time applying. Um, so yeah. Yeah. The, it's very complicated and, but it's going to help you in such simple ways because there's very simple adjustments you can make. Uh, I have a very limited, uh, perspective and knowledge on what you have learned, but, um, 
if I understand the basic concepts, then it seems like uh, these, like technologically speaking, like technically speaking in terms of like the biomechanics and joints moving on each other with the fascia and the muscles, like that is all very complicated, but the way that the assessments are and the way you can implement it into your own training once you understand it is, is really easy, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, that's another thing that I have never uh, been exposed to. Of course, we do table tests and everything that I've learned before. Even when I was in therapy school, we learned all the t basic tests and other courses that I've taken, uh, except Bill has just gone down a path where he's been so specific as to what you're testing, what, what, what will I expect to be limited in if I'm missing this range of motion? And I'm talking from from 60 degrees, if we're talking shoulder flexion, zero to 180, right? Like you can break it down from like zero to 60. If you don't have that, you're missing something. 60 to 120, if you don't have that, you're missing something else. Um, and even even in the course of 120 and above, but even like in betweens, he's got, he's got things that he just knows or based off of his own experiences, of course, uh, that, that would to him prove that this is uh, accurate and this is what you need. Uh, in order to regain this because there's so many ways to cheat tests and this is why taking his course has really helped me understand it on another level it's just being so specific as to how we're testing say like we've talked about before say overhead flexion how a lot of uh, individuals will start to compensate to get more overhead whether it be through spinal extension um, and even through that then most most individuals will internally rotate the humerus to get overhead more and then they'll make it look like it's external rotation by just supinating the, the forearm further out and that's your olympic lifter or any barbell over your head it looks like they're externally rotated but they're really internally rotated at the humerus um, at a slight moment and once you understand that and you just cut the elbow off and you just take the arm up overhead, you're like, yeah, you know what? It does internally rotate. That makes sense. Because I questioned this stuff in the beginning. Like, wait, what? It doesn't make sense. Uh, but when you actually sit there and you're shown, uh, you, you have to understand. There's no other way around it. And for me, it was just so amazing. Because now I know what I need to do with an individual that's missing, you know, 30 or 40 degrees of overhead flexion um, before they start to compensate via internal rotation of the humerus. Things of that such matter, of course. And of course, I can go out with horizontal abduction hip extension, all these things. You just got to be very specific with how you're testing. And if you are, then things will present themselves. And, and then there's, you know, of course, a, uh, a little cookbook that you got uh, that you know how to backtrack from and how to regain certain motions that you're looking to regain. You know, of course, some sports require you to lose certain motions, right? Mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm a heavy power lifter, trying to, man, I should be compressed and I, I should be internally rotated at, at the shoulders, really trying to press that bar up, right? Uh, but and then again, someone who's having pain, they might have to back off from that a little bit and learn how to expand. Uh, so that's the one thing that Bill will just go very in depth about is you, there's only two things. There's only internal rotation or external rotation. I could also say there's only compression and expansion. Yeah. So that, that's inhalation, exhalation. All these things go hand in hand. Um, you're only living in one plane. There's, there's no sagittal plane. It's only transverse plane. Everything happens in the transverse plane. Of course, you can probably get very picky and digest things down, which makes sense, which is why we have table tests for a reason. Um, but at the same time, um, there's so many constraints in every position that we're in. We just need to respect that everything is globally looked at as internal or external rotation, expansion, compression. And once you get that, then you're like, okay, that makes it simple. But at the same time, it's very complex. But once you get it, you're like, okay, that is easy. Now I can understand what I should do with this person that's trying to regain this or trying to be better at this sport because this sport requires this movement more than others. 
Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting concept, how you talked about muscles there, because in anatomy class in college, from grad school, we talk about things as a, a sagittal plane muscle or a frontal plane or a transverse plane muscle, but really all muscles are triplanar. And that's an, an incredible thing to understand because like even muscles, when they contract themselves, they don't just pull in a vertical path. It is a rotational action that happens as a transverse plane motion, even when a muscle contracts. So it's amazing to understand that everything is working rotationally at all times. It really is just internal and external rotation. I think that's a mind-blowingly awesome concept. So uh, that's cool, man. So obviously this stuff, as we've mentioned, like that's a lot for the average person who doesn't know anything about this stuff. That's a lot to wrap their head around. So how did you prepare to do this intensive process? And like, what are some materials? What are some uh, books perhaps, or some uh, just really any, anything they can do to prepare themselves to get ready to understand this sort of material? So uh, I think the biggest thing to understand is one, the, the mechanics uh, of respiration. Mm -hmm. what, what, what happens when you take a breath in? And I'm not talking about where the air is going. I'm talking about what is that air pressure inside of you doing to the joints in this thing called a rib cage and a pelvis, you know, that diaphragm, when that diaphragm descends, where does it need to go? Mm -hmm. what, what needs to happen in the pelvis for your diaphragm to actually descend down to the pelvic floor? All these things that, that you probably need to understand uh, but n not that not not that difficult if you just start start with the right references I would say so maybe mm -hmm. look into a couple different systems like you have looked into heavily say mm -hmm. the PRI which is really good Bill's Bill will go super in depth there's a couple really good books by Diane Lee um, that that speak about respiration and what just happens and of course and this is globally understood as to what happens when you inhale um, versus exhale but then when when we're talking about like joint actions and what, what's actually occurring versus what you think might occur. Uh, that's where it gets a little tricky and you will start to see people branch off into different ways of thought as to what could happen, whether someone's under normal respiration or whether someone's under com compensatory movements. And uh, that's why Bill has a lot of good YouTube videos um, way back that you can start looking, even Zach Couples, who's yeah. his student and I've, I've learned from his well, he's an incredible guy. Awesome. So, um, you definitely look into his stuff cause they just, they just throw this stuff out there for free and people are overlooking this stuff. And, you know, eventually they will double back because I double backed five years ago when I first started diving into this stuff. And I'm just like, uh, that sounds crazy. And then I came back to it a couple of years later and now I'm back where I am thinking, Oh man, this has a much bigger implication to your entire system as a whole when understanding respiration and how all of a sudden you can regain so much range of motion from just learning how to position your body in a certain spot and breathing properly instead of having to yank on that arm that you're always stretching um, or whether it be for your hips, uh, just an incredible thing. But yeah, I would check out Bill's YouTube uh, to start and a couple other systems, of course, but just understand joint position mm -hmm. and how that might affect airflow because those, those iliums, those pelvis right under your body, uh, that thing right down there will literally direct air wherever it wants if you allow it to. And it's very common for it to go in a certain position because we like to get stuck in certain positions as humans because we walk forwards. And honestly, I think the name of the game is we are just trying not to fall forwards or backwards. We're just mm -hmm. trying to stay upright as humans. And when that happens, depending on your your natural bias of a, from your genetics that you're given, um, how tall you are, all these things will play a factor as to whether you manage air 
or, or against gravity well enough to uh, not compensate as much as others. Like someone who's very tall, someone who's very tall and skinny, say LeBron James, um, he's an incredible athlete. He's been given a genetic gift of God, his, his body, right? Uh, so, so but, but with that will come potentially a lot of uh, compressive compensations because he's so tall. And now he's higher than most people, so he's fighting gravity as he's walking forwards. Now he's going to have to start to compress certain areas of his ribcage in order to fight to stay upright um, versus someone who might be a little lower uh, to the ground. Um, but again, you know, and these are predictable, the, right? Like you can very, you can, yes, very, very predictable. And uh, I think Bill, Bill has a lot going for him when it comes to this stuff, and I truly understand it now. And uh, of course, it took me a long time before this. Like I said, I didn't just start studying this. This has been years. Um, but anybody could learn this. I'm just talking, maybe we're talking on different layers of my understanding versus someone else. Um, not that I'm better than anybody, um, but I just uh, love this stuff so much. And it's just really helped me because the second I get better is the second that I can help my clients better. And the results show because their results are what make me happy. You know, I'm not doing this just for my pure joy. I want to help others because I get happy just from seeing them smile. And uh, it's very predictable stuff that when, when you start to compensate in a certain way, and unless, unless we start to move our organs around inside of our body and start walking sideways, um, we're going to predict it to be pretty similar for most people. However, there's always differences. There's always different things that come about. Uh, but just coming, breaking things back down to the root of it all. Yeah. They're, they're very predictable. Yeah. And I think you make a really important part with what you say is like, it's, it seems like it's a lot, but anyone can do it. It's not, it's not like it's an impossible task. Just get good at anatomy, get good at biomechanics, like really understand like uh, how joints move on each other. And, you know, if you understand generic, like pelvis and rib cage mechanics, then you're probably like, you're probably all right. And then you can just always keep referencing the material that you're given. And I, I would say, yeah, Bill's YouTube, if you guys want to get a taste, that's definitely worth checking out. So um, that's a great response, man. Thank you. Um, so could you go into a little bit more detail in terms of like loading and propulsion? Because that's a lot of what this stuff is based off of, right? Um, if you guys aren't aware, like I'm referencing the ability to absorb forces with loading and then propel, push into the ground as it relates to gait. But the way that Bill talks about in his intensive model is a little bit different than everyone else does. And I think it's a, it makes a, quite a bit of sense. And I'd love if you could just go in on that for a couple of seconds. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, these are going to be things that I, I can absolutely touch on. Um, but to get a massive understanding, I really, I, I recommend everyone go sign up. If you can, I promise you, you will not regret it. It's the greatest mm -hmm. experience that I've had with the seminar. Um, but with the whole loading thing, again, it's internal rotation, external rotation, compression, expansion. So E-R-I-R, -R, right? So uh, he's going to say propulsion, of course, mid to late propulsion is going to be different from early to mid. Mid's going to be more of that compression strategy, that area right around there versus the beginning is going to be early and late. That's going to be E-R, right? He says, if your foot is down on the ground, you're always propelling. However, there's those split seconds in between where you're going to be more biased towards inhalation versus exhalation, right? So Mid, mid stance. So if, for anyone in therapy, you're going to, you're going to look, have to look at this as heel strike, right? Versus foot flat versus toe off. All right. So early propulsion, heel strike, mid stance, that's going to be the max IR compression. And then toe off is going to be more ER. So you go from heel strike, 
you got to pronate the foot right there towards uh, mid stance and then you go back off towards technically supination even though we drive off that big toe um, but these things happen so quick um, you, you can't you, you got to slow down in super slow mode to understand it but at the same time it's not just when we're walking this is this goes to squats this this goes to lunges this is this goes to overhead shoulder flexion <laughs> this is this is all comparable and and that's why I, I see this all very clear now uh, as to um, how to relate things with people um, but again we're just trying to uh, regain the ability to fully inhale and exhale as in be able to inhale counter nutate exhale nutate so that sacral position all these things we don't want to get stuck anywhere and most people won't come to you unless they have pain but if they have pain i'm willing to bet they probably have some restriction when it comes to respiration somewhere in the yeah. system even though they might come to you for ankle pain yeah that's just the thing right so with the whole propulsion thing say we're going to be doing a split squat right we can we can just jump into that say i want to bias someone into early propulsion right you want to make sure that technically your weight distribution is going to be a little different right so you want to have say the front foot elevated for early propulsion mm-hmm. front foot elevated or you you can say you're working the front foot you're still going to be working both um, because i don't want you leaning 100 percent on that front leg so when you're in that front front foot elevated position <clears throat> that that foot could be 50 60 percent maybe at most 70 percent um, compared to the back leg it's going to be still weight bearing of course right because that's how you walk you know these split stance positions say it, even if we are shifting our hips left or right it doesn't matter and that's another story that i could probably go on forever about mm-hmm. but we can bias these positions you know when you when you take a step forward with your right leg your hips are your hips are going to start to turn to the left um this has to happen. You know, we're not walking in the sagittal plane with our lower legs. It's a transverse plane. We need to respect that. And we're not robots. Uh, so the second that I'm in that, that front foot elevated position, that, that front foot, uh, I'm going to stay more heel heavy. I might be more supinated at that foot. Very, very slight moment, right? Before I go to that mid stance. So I could be more supinated in that position. Um, all these things are going to happen. Again, I don't want to be super heavy on that foot and pronated versus if I want to practice more of mid stance, I might go a Bulgarian split squat. So I might have the rear foot um, elevated at that point, right? But I'm still standing on that front foot. So now my weight distribution needs to go a little bit more forward, right? So now I might have to have up to 85% in that front leg now. So say I'm doing more mid propulsion, uh, say my left foot's back, my right foot's forward. I'm really working on that right, that right uh, mid propulsive foot. So now, now I'm going to be somewhat, I don't know, maybe 75 to 85% on that front leg. Um, so I'm going to get more dorsiflexion in that position. I could hit pronation. I'm not trying to flatten my foot, but at the same time, I'm just trying to control the movement, but I'm biasing this in that position, um, whether it be with a hip shift or not. Um, so yeah, and then of course, lay propulsion would just be working on that, that, that back leg. Um, same thing as early because they're the same thing. They're both ER mid and late are going to be both ER and right in the middle is going to be IR. Um, and I know that sounds confusing. Uh, and, uh, but once you understand, you're like, Oh, it's only two things. It just yeah. depends when, when it's happening. Um, cause globally that's what's going on. And that's, that's the same thing. Like the, it's the same thing up in, in the shoulders. The scapula is the pelvis. All these things to me are very similar. Your, your shoulder flexion readings are going to be similar to your, your hip flexion readings. And, and it's going to show me things like that. So yeah. Very interesting stuff, though. That was uh, 
that was so well said. And yeah, I think the point you hit home is that good training is just good gate training, right? Because you can't separate the two is uh, a lot of people wonder why I talk so much about breathing and gait. Well, like, it's what we do most in life. So we need to sure. be able to be trained within these things that we do so often, because like really sprinting is a form of gait. Distance running is gait. Like it's just, there's so many parallels. So training that whether we're conscious of it or not in the weight room, that's what we're doing. And that's going to transfer over to sports to, to real life and to all those other things. So strength and conditioning coaches who are listening to this be like, why do I need to care about this? Well, um, you're doing it, whether you recognize it or not. And to understand these things, once you get past the learning curve, uh, which is overcomable, then you understand that, wow, this is so much more simple than I thought it could be. All I have to do is train these certain things associated with certain phases of gait, and there's really only two, then yep. things make a lot more sense. So that was extremely well said. So um, kind of- hey, trans Can I, can I add on that? Go ahead. Actually, yeah. just, just in case, because I don't, I don't want to leave that um, on a confusing note. I'll give you like a really good example then. Sure. Say if, if you stand, because again, if you have a client or you're working with someone who's seems very symmetrical, right? Um, then okay, by all means, and you, you know, they're, they're, they're very uh, um, talented either side, left or the right. But if you have someone that clearly invisibly is asymmetrical, which I believe most of us are in the first place. Um, so you can say, you can look at them, look at their feet from behind them. If you look at the left foot, maybe it's more pronated or more flat, quote unquote, flat than the right. Um, you can begin to make make judgment calls and maybe maybe they like to have more of a mid propulsive left side and a more early and late propulsive right side so maybe that right foot might, may be more supinated than the left right so they might load on that left side a lot more they're always standing on that, that right side their hips might be even oriented to the right side of course these are almost genetically biased positions that we're going to be put in based on our internal structures that we're given with that you've mentioned before in other podcasts, mm -hmm. things that, that this such matter. Um, if they are that asymmetrical, that it's clear cut and dry, um, I'm going to bias their training when it comes to these split stand squats. So in, in that position, I'm going to avoid not totally, but I will, I will probably enhance their ability to do left uh, front foot elevated positions. So early propulsion, right anything that anything that promotes more er on the left side so i could i could do rear foot um just depends on how i'm doing it i just don't want to be more in a propulsive state on the left because i'm always in that state i'm always in ir i'm always trying to push myself to the right side instead i want to accept that left side so i might have to work on certain things at, at the foot making sure my foot is of course well on the ground but more biasing towards supination um, instead of pronation because it's always pronated. So why would we want to train it in that position if it's literally stuck there? But again, it's not just the foot. It's going all the way up the hip, right? So we're going to need to learn abduction, uh, external rotation, flexion, all these things combined with our split squat training. So I might have someone with a front foot elevated split squat in, in, the, in the left leg forwards, right? And then I might have them bias a hip shift on the left, right? Um, in that position, I can just train them there right? Um, and make sure their hips are oriented to the left because if their hips are always to the right slightly, I want to, I want to teach them what it feels like to sense an adductor on, on that left side. You know, all these, all these things that help them stay on that left side. And then when I go to the right leg, cause they need to train the right leg, of course, right? I might not have their hips turned to the right. I may not have them do a hip shift on the right. I may, I may have them do like more of a Bulgarian split squat on the right, 
So rear, uh, left foot, rear foot elevated with the right foot in front and really load that right foot in, in uh, mid propulsion to allow some, some good dorsiflexion going past toes, uh, working on pronation naturally, of course, because gravity should do it for you. Um, things of that such matter, but I might not have them turn their hips to the right, right? I might have them turn their hips to the left in that position. Mm -hmm. So their hips could be looking left while their front leg is in mid propulsion, of course, doing that split stance squat. And I know that sounds awkward, but boy, if you try it and if you need it, I can tell you, I've already given it to multiple people over the last year um, when I started messing with this stuff when I first saw it. And it really helped. And the, the reason we're asymmetrical, you know, we can't, we can't train symmetrically if we're asymmetrical. We got to yeah. find a way. We got to find a way to get back to that. And if you don't, then you're never going to sort out these issues. I, I hope you never have pain, but at some point it might turn into it. Or at some point uh, you're going to compensate so much that it's just going to lead to something that, you know, down the road that you don't want to go. And so well, you got to really look at this stuff and digest it and understand that, whoa, it's that easy. Maybe I can just buy some here in this position and he's going to have little chance uh, to mess it up, you know, and, and he might see a big benefits from it because he's so used to doing the other thing that why would I train him there? You know, I don't want a progressive overload in the wrong position. You know, I want to train him in positions that he's not good at so he can get good at everything. And then, of course, backtrack to maybe some symmetrical type of training eventually once they're more um, willing to understand these positions and maintain these positions. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, that's so huge because you talked about the global picture. And for strength coaches, when it comes to injury, uh, minimization, which is my number one goal, which I think every strength coach or number one goal should be injury minimization. Uh, and I think that when it comes to being asymmetrical, we tend to be biased into certain things, just as you mentioned. And if we're stuck in these places, then we lack the variability to assume those other positions. Oh, yeah. So if we're stuck in certain joint ranges of motion, then think about like a valgus knee collapse. That person probably can't get true internal rotation on that femur. So they're getting fake internal rotation through that valgus collapse, but it all started because their pelvis and femur could not work together well. So essentially like, it sounds like what you're just saying is you're giving them what they don't have, but addressing the problem on like a global scale instead of just going after, well, the ankle doesn't have enough dorsiflexion. So let's do some dorsiflexion stretches. You're thinking of things of like, top down and bottom up approaches. Absolutely. And I've been, and honestly, I've been looking this way for probably five, six years. Uh, when I first read anatomy trains, that's when I first actually getting started getting into this. And this comes back to PNF as well. If you understand PNF, that's all this really is. Um, but I really started to dive deep into anatomy trains, not for the fascial connections, but to understand muscle integration. Mm -hmm. And once you get that, you're like, Oh, this muscle works well with this. When you're doing this movement, how do, how do you throw better? Well, you need this thing. These muscles connect together. Um, from a contralateral standpoint, even to an ipsilateral standpoint, there's so many muscles that need to work together that are all tied in through fascia, but are driven through respiration, you know, yep. and, and then they're all made up of water, you know, all these things that uh, you just need to have an understanding of. And if you do, it becomes so easy to put someone in a position to really gain that dorsiflexion that you're talking about. Really, again, what do we need with dorsiflexion? All right, pronation. I'm going to try to buy some there. I might put a wedge um, the wedges that I use as well um, to bias them towards pronation. So to block their ability to supinate the ankle. Um, so maybe on the lateral calcaneus, I might put a little wedge there um, and teach them in an early propulsive stance. So a light um, foot, a front foot elevated. Um, so it's a lighter foot uh, that might allow that knee to track farther forward um, without getting blocked. And of course you can do all the mobilizations you want. They might help. They might help very well if you couple them with this stuff. 
Yeah. But you want to put you want to put the hip in a certain position, the knee and the ankle all in a certain position, and then drive respiration home. But if you have all those things together, it becomes so much easier to gain dorsiflexion instead of just stretching their calves. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said that better myself if I tried. That's amazing. Um, Thank you. And I think there's you hit a good point again of not worrying about like, okay, so I shouldn't do anything isolated then. Like that stuff's totally fine. And if it helps, I think you should still keep doing it. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. But I think there's a, a bigger picture here because like with, with fascia, like if you were to unwind someone's like get to the fascia, like unwind their skin and everything, all those tissues, you wouldn't be able to tell your bicep from your forearm muscle. It looked like the same exact thing, but it's connected so deeply with this fascia that you have to really peel that back before you start to see the tendon connections and all that and all this stuff. But really it's all just one isolated unit. That's why things like RPR, they rub the back of their head to get more glutes, you know, like it, it, it that's works. a perfect it example work. right there. It and work. it does work. So uh, that's great stuff, man. So transitioning here, I wanted to ask you because there is this coronavirus thing going on. There is like a need for online trainers and online training. And you recently have really expanded your website. Uh, you've made a bigger push online. You're starting to get a lot more clients. You're starting to like really have a presence. So can you explain to us like what are the best strategies that you found to be successful? And when it comes to like this time where the market is so saturated, how can we go about distinguishing ourselves and actually getting a couple more clients. Sure, and uh, it's a uh, it's 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 a tough answer, and because uh, the truth is never necessarily a good thing to hear. In my at least in my opinion, from my experience, because I'll tell you right now, um, if when I first started doing this stuff, it was three years ago. It was it was really three years ago when I first took my first client, and I had one client, and I don't think I had anyone for like two months after that. You know, so it's just. It's a, it's a tough thing. One, you yeah. need to be patient. You have to be patient. You cannot expect things from people. If you have a lot of in, in-person clients, that is your best bet to get clients to transition to online. They are your best bet, right? Because they know you, they trust you. They are there for you. Some, some clients are there for the gym and facility that you might be at and you, right? So you can't expect all of them to go online because some of them really just need, to, need you to be in their face, period. They won't go to the gym because of because of that. But you do have other clients that are okay with going online for at least for this time period um, that you can uh, most definitely get by with. But at the same time, trust me, uh, we're all feeling your pain. That's this is a fact. Like this is a hard time for everyone. Um, this stuff took a long time for me to build. Uh, I did it because not because I thought there was going to be a coronavirus because that wasn't there three years ago. But at that time, uh, I wanted to branch out. I knew that there was people out there that I could help that just were not getting the right help. Maybe they lived on a certain part of the country or a different other country and they, the practitioners there just weren't cutting it for them. Um, because it's very common that the people I usually work with are, are, are already going to other people, have already tried to go to other people and they can't connect these dots and they, they don't know why this, this muscle is just locked down and they can't relieve it. And they're having so many issues now because of it. Uh, so, so I think patience is like the biggest one you need to understand. Two, you need to bring a massive amount of value. Uh, and I like to do that through uh, bringing self-awareness to the system. I think that's the biggest thing I could ever give someone is self-awareness. And I can, I can go in 15 different directions when I say self-awareness. You know, we could talk about respiration. We could talk about movement. You know, we could talk about pain science. Like all these things that you just need to have an understanding of. 
And if you're patient, you'll want to learn these things. And the more you learn these things, you can bring an enormous amount of value to people. I would say also then a big thing that helped me is I really got into filming. I really, I really like to film and edit my own content. And yeah. I'm talking four years ago, I first started doing that and I didn't understand it, but I can tell you, I spent an absurd amount of time just trying to figure out Adobe Premiere Pro. I, I paid for Adobe Premiere Pro and you know, it's $600 for the year. Uh, at the time, luckily, I think I got the student discount. It, nice. it came out to be like 20 or 30 bucks a month. Um, by the time that adds up, especially when you get on there and you're like, whoa, this is a lot of stuff to figure out. But that's, that's something I could tell anyone. There's all these apps out there that make things easy for filming and editing. You don't need to do Premiere Pro to, to learn how to do this. I did it though. And I, I was started recording videos and making like hype intro videos for people just from my own experience. Because now you've seen mine and we've talked about this before, like the stuff that I use for my uh, Instagram posts and whatnot, because I yeah. started to get... I started to go too far down the hole of wasting too much time on Instagram, trying to make a single post. And uh, I just got so efficient with it that it doesn't take me long at all. You know, it takes me two seconds to make a, a thumbnail and then my videos, I already know what I'm doing, how to record it, how, I, how I'm gonna edit it. Uh, like I know exactly what I'm gonna say so I don't waste any time because that adds up. And, and over those last few years, what I've done is I just built a massive exercise bolt on the Google Drive. That's what, that's what I've done, I'll tell it to everyone. I built a massive, I'm talking 500 videos probably, right? And this didn't happen overnight again. Um, so patience needs to be there. Uh, I just built it over time. And when I started to have people that were similar, maybe they needed a certain exercise that was already recorded. I just give them access to that, you know, and I build it from there onto the next client. When I need to make something more specific, of course, I'll edit, film and edit whatever I need for my clients and put it up there and have it saved. Um, but don't lose these things. And it's great to start at adding to your, your exercise vault now. I'm not talking about going to true coach these apps and using the videos that they have um, because they can't give the cues that I give. They can't give these corrective exercises that I give, even though I think they're all just exercises helping you to improve certain strategies that you might've lost. But that's why it's so important for us and whether therapists or trainers to just uh, dive in and experience things on your own, um, bring value to people. I can't tell you how many free sessions I gave people starting off because I just that's wanted huge. to yeah, that's, I gave that's so many free sessions because I'm like, listen, uh, I'm doing this because right now I'm trying to be selfish so I can learn um, yeah. how to how to how to coach you. Because if I'm learning right now how to coach you, uh, you're going to get better next time. Because right now I have no clue because you can't put your hands on these people anymore. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the biggest thing, whether you're a trainer or a therapist, everyone at some point is probably putting their hands on someone. Um, and you can't do that online and you can't see them. You can't step to their left to see what they're doing in the pelvis first, what they're doing from a, a frontal plane or sagittal plane view. You can't see that. So you, it becomes like almost innate that you have to put in the work on looking at videos, seeing someone move and being able to make those judgment calls as to like, okay, I, I, I can't prove for sure that they're going to improve their range of motion on this one, but I'm pretty certain they did that right because I've seen this 200 times instead of once now. So you can make the judgment call and say, hey, let's check that range of motion now. And lo and behold, boom, they had an improvement, right? Or if they're compensating, you spot it. You know, of course, we don't want to just make those calls, but I, I think I've just done it enough now to where I, I actually can say that I can see things over camera um, that someone who doesn't normally do this stuff would see. And it helps me a lot, a yeah. significant amount to see what, how, they're, how they're moving, how I can be like, hey, if you feel your big toe right there, just press that down just a hair. Like those little things that you have to gain over experience. And of course, I recommend that everyone just 
work on your family, work on your friends for free over video. Um, coming up with a assessment is huge. And that's, I've completely evolved the way that I've done assessments over the years. When I first started, it was, it was straight, straight to the point of like, well, what's wrong with you, what you're feeling. And, and let me see if I can help you real quick versus now I have like a, I have a movement assessment that I go through with everyone, no matter what it is. Of course, I modify it when needed because um, everybody's a little different, but um, I go through it and that tells me a lot of what they're missing, um, regardless of their pain. You know, I, I, I appreciate everyone. I always listen to where their pain's at because it's so important, but at the same time, it's not going to change the way that I work with them. You know, their, their neck pain, it's just, it's just another symptom to me. It's just a subjective view. Uh, I'm not going to stop you know, checking their, their respiration or their right internal hip rotation. And you know, I, I don't care. I'm going to check because I want to know because I have a, 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 you know, a set of principles in my, my ways that I um, systematically go by to uh, come to whatever results we need to. Uh, so I would say, just get yourself out there, give free sessions to family, friends, people that you don't know. Like I, at one point I just said, anyone that wants a free session, I'm going to do for you right now. You know, I had someone within five minutes, you know, you know, cause it's free is free. Um, but then you get that one client, you know, that maybe that one client helps refer someone else, or maybe you do some type of like a referral plan where you're going to give out a free session to someone that gets someone else. Um, but again, it's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow, but at least from my experience, this patience needs to be number one and it's not going to help you in this time unfortunately, but what it will help you for is to prepare you for the next time that's because right. that's what, it, because it's what helped me for this time. And, mm -hmm. and I, who's to say, you know, I missed the time before this. I don't know. Um, but again, I could be wrong. You could be out there and, and get, get a client today. And that's amazing. Of course, your following has to do with it. You know, it's, it's better to have 4,000 followers that actually like your stuff versus, you know, 100 followers. Yeah. Um, but then, but then again, you know, it, it really just depends. Um, but yeah, that's a it's, a, it's a very important thing and it's just a troubled time for most people and I, I feel for everyone, I really do. I really do, just stick with yeah. it and honestly, build build it online. Bring value to people uh, and don't just expect anything from them because honestly, uh, they're, not gonna, they're not gonna come to you if you're expecting things. You, you, yeah, you need to bring them value for a while and who's to say how long that is. But uh, I will say, I'll leave you on this one. It's funny how the, the, the celebrities of the world you know, in, in the business era on, on the internet, if that makes sense, maybe yeah. some social influencers, there's a reason why they're doing so well with their, with their campaigning or um, whether they're a celebrity trainer. How about that? Here's an example. Sure. I, I've met, I met a lot of celebrity trainers when I was in New York city. I was training right next to them. You know, um, it, to me, it's just another trainer. Yeah, it's great. But the thing that they might do so well online is they know how to market. If you, you could have the worst product in the world, but if you have the best marketing strategy, you're rich. And that's what most of them do, to be honest with you. I feel like I have a better product than most. And that's just, that's just because I, I, I love to study. I'm a nerd for this stuff. And the proof's in the pudding, first of all. But if you don't have a good market, marketing strategy on top of a great product, you're in trouble. Um, so the, but the best thing is to study business. Uh, I, I, I personally paid hundreds of dollars to uh, specific individuals to teach me how to do Facebook ads. Um, and this was all recent. This was in the last like nine months that I did this, um, because I was in New York city at one point with basically no clientele and needed to figure out how to do this. And I had no choice. I had my back up against the wall and it was, it was either go homeless or, or go big. And, and that's just what I do. I dove myself in, um, met with, met, met with others. I could tell you one person, Sean light, incredible guy. If you don't follow him, please go do that now. He's, he's a great the guy. Best. 
He's the best. Um, he, I met with him multiple times and just hearing his story, he even told me about some of his mentors that told him what to do in very specific times like this. And, and him, and even like Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk, all these guys are telling you like, just go watch what the most successful people do. Go stalk them. Go watch yeah. what they're doing. Go mimic what they're doing. Who cares? I'm willing to bet it helps you. And I know it helped me um, because it led to me training one CEO in New York City. And that one CEO led me into another. And then next thing I knew, um, you know, I was I had a full clientele. And it was just an incredible time, an incredible experience for me. Um, and I'm basically redoing that right now in Dallas, you know, and I love it. But now I, I know I've done it before. It's not going to be difficult for me to do it again once this virus clears up, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that you said that I think most people don't want to hear is, yep. and you didn't like directly say it, but like, this is what, this is what it is. Is like, you have to put in so much work. You have to put in the work because right now it's, it's, it's competitive out there. There's a lot of trainers. It's saturated and you have to really get after it. Like not everyone is willing to put in the amount of work it takes to get to the place where you've gotten. And it takes so much effort. You have to love it. If you hate it, good luck. You're probably not going to make it because there's people, and I'm not saying this egotistically, I'm saying this like, like yourself, like myself who are working and busting our ass to, you know, get these clients who are, you know, not as common as they weren't once were. Um, so it's really just a matter of putting your face out there too. Like you said, the whole knowing that person, that's really important too. Like you've got to be able to talk in front of a camera. And the first, like, you know, three videos I did were awful. They were really, really bad. <laughs> like I was, I was Me all too. over the place. It was so robotic and forced. And I was just like, looking back, you'll always laugh. But after that, it just, it gets so much easier. And then if you put videos of yourself talking on your posts, like out to Twitter, out to Instagram, out to Facebook, that helps develop like in a relationship, even if they don't recognize that's what's going on. They see your face, they see you talking, you're no longer just text on a screen. So that would yep. be a, that would be a really important thing to hit as well. But uh, that was very well said. And uh, that was some great insight. Man. And also, so, I, I was definitely saying because you now, like you said it right there, we both talk well in front of a camera now. Mm -hmm. But doesn't mean that we started off like that. Oh, it was awful. I, yeah. We were horrific. I, how many times I've retaked so many videos because I couldn't even say my name properly. Oh. You know, <laughs> I don't care. I'll tell everybody. It's, it's, I've literally put in the work. And in the beginning, uh, I didn't, I expected a lot more and I shouldn't have. And even like mentioning Gary Vaynerchuk, that guy will tell you everything he's done, period. And if you haven't, you should go look at him. Yeah. He, he will tell you everything he's done to be successful. He just doesn't think you're going to do it. That's, That's right. Just literally, I'm, I, yeah, I'm not kidding. That's exactly what I do with my online business. I literally just told you it all. I, I learned how to film and edit video content because it's free and, uh, or, or very cheap instead of paying someone. I put in the work to study like a nerd. I gave out a lot of free stuff and then was patient for years and figured it out. And I'm still going to build it. You know, it's only going to get bigger with other things that are coming soon, you know, potentially things that we might even be doing yeah. here soon that I look forward mm -hmm. to. But I just think everyone should just understand that you got to love the, the, the struggle of the process um, because it's always an up and down thing, but you got to love it. And that's why I love this. Like I love, I love doing this stuff. I love talking now. Of course I get nervous at times, but you know, I, it's just a, it's a process and you just got to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you know, find something that you do enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing. Like people don't really care about you putting a video of yourself on the internet, you know, like really only we care because we're concerned about what 
people will think when they see us talk, but you're just another human being talking in front of the camera, right? Just like the other 10 people they saw in the last 120 seconds, you know? So like, you're just another person and you might have good things to say, but no one cares if you stutter, as long as it's not a disaster. No one cares like if you're talking, that's not in the most professional possible way. Like, it's just like, put yourself out there, be a human being and like, it's okay to be vulnerable and you know, like, We've all but been there. It is oh, yeah. admittedly extremely hard to do those first three videos. It's terrifying. Yeah. So, it's all right. Spread positive vibes. Don't hate on people. Yeah. That too. That too. Yeah. Be overwhelmingly positive and that helps as well. Yep. Yep. Um, so thanks, Jake. I just want to end with one thing. I like to end with a funny story. So do you have uh, any good stories working with either an online or in-person client that really stuck with you? Uh, all right. Well, yes. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I actually got the okay from him to tell tell you guys Sweet. this, uh, Sweet. because it was an online client. It was actually my second online client and, um, <laughs> I'm doing my movement assessment at that point and he's facing the camera and I'm of course seeing him and everything that's behind him in his house, in his living room. He's got a nice dinner, uh, dining room table there. Um, and he's doing his, uh, uh, frontal plane movements that I had him doing just to see how well he can shift over. And, uh, I see his cat in the back. I'll, I jump on the, uh, the table. I'm like, okay, no big deal. But if you know cats, which I've had many in my life, they like to be nosy. They like to hit things and, and, uh, <laughs> be very ignorant. That's and, right. uh, he's got a, um, <laughs> he's got a candle on his, uh, in his table and the cat just walks straight up to the candle and just swats it right on the dining room table. And he's doing his squat. And next thing you know, I'm just watching his, his table light on fire. Oh my God. And I'm just like, you might want to turn around there. And he just turns around <laughs> as the cloth is literally on fire. It wasn't in golf, but it was on fire. And his cat was just standing Holy there like God. it was no big deal. Yeah, he put it out. Like, yeah, I did it, this. <laughs> I did this. Yeah, I, yeah, it was hilarious, dude. I just love that about cats. They're, they're crazy. They yeah. don't listen. <laughs> no, no, that's funny. Did he put it out like pretty quick? Pretty quick. Yeah. He just literally just dove on it. Yeah. He knocked the camera over. So I didn't get to see him put it out cause he sprinted so fast. So, um, yeah, but it was, it all was good. It wasn't bad if, uh, I guess I could have just let it sit there and let the flame get bigger, but you know, <laughs> scare him a little bit more. I liked him enough to have him as a client. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks man. I know you got to go. So, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. That was a really good podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed that. So thank you, man. Thank you so much, Connor.